Hey everybody, I'm so glad that you're here, whether you're in the room or you're tuning in online. I just want to welcome you. If we have not met, my name is Chad. I'm the lead pastor here. And you are actually here for a great day because, just as AJ said, we're actually launching a brand new series. And this isn't just a series to kind of get us through. This is actually a series to launch us into the future. One of the things that God has really impressed upon me over the last six months or so is some areas that we're actually deficient in the church, truthfully, is just faith, the vibrancy of faith, and an excitement of faith, and encouragement of faith, and, and be able to boldly ask God for things in faith. And so God has just been speaking to me over the last several months, and he says, no, no, this is, this is a bigger problem than even what I can see. So God wants us to refocus, and this isn't just the title of a sermon, literally to refocus, to make the, the most important thing the most important thing, and that being Jesus Christ. So uh, I welcome you as we launch a brand new series. I, I welcome you to open up your Bible, and we're actually going to go into... Uh, the key passage for today, and ultimately, this is actually the key passage for the whole year. So it's not just a message for today. This is something that that will speak uh, will speak out of this throughout the year and and around these concepts and themes. So we're going to start in First Corinthians four one through two, and that's what we're going to read. And this is going to be the main passage. And then we're going to take a take a turn around. I'm going to develop some ideas, and we're actually going to land back at this passage. Here in just a little bit, but I want you to know this: uh, the people in Corinth, uh, that the church had been there. The Apostle Paul planted the church in Corinth in his second missionary journey, and on his second missionary journey, Paul thought so much about these people. He actually lived there for a year and a half. So it wasn't just that he just visited; that he went. You know, he preached a salvation message. Four people gave their life to Jesus, and then Paul says, "Oh, you're the pastor. Here, take it. It's yours. Let me encourage you." Instead, he actually was deeply involved in the relationships here. So he had his own skin in the game, so to speak, metaphorically speaking, for uh, what is happening in the church. So he cares about this church deeply. And what is heard since then is the church now is having some issues. And if you have been around the Bible, been around church for a while, every time that somebody mentions the church in Corinth, usually they start telling you all the things that are wrong in the church in Corinth. And that's certainly true. The context of this passage, however, follows up when the Apostle Paul goes through and he addresses divisions in the church. So there are certain people and they said, well, I follow this person, I follow this person, I follow this person. And then Paul says, well, actually, shouldn't we be just following Jesus? Like, shouldn't we be following him instead of saying, I follow this one person because it was causing division in the church? Now, I don't think that we necessarily have that kind of thing creeping up in our church. However, I do think that we always need to go back to and re reorient our hearts around the fact that we can become divided from what it is that God wants us to do. So while it may not be a division of people, we can certainly have a division of heart. So Paul, now, as he has just talked about the divisions that are happening in the church, and now he talks about and he develops these themes, and then he'll unpack it for the rest of 1 Corinthians, and actually speaks a little bit into 2 Corinthians later. But this is what he says, starting in verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ, and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required for those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. So then, I'll read it again, it's so short we can. So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ. In other words, we ought to be known for this. 
and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required of those who have been given a trust, they must prove faithful. If there's anything that I believe to be true right now in this season, is the church of Jesus Christ must prove faithful in the days that we're in. Coming out of 2020, everyone has taken a black eye, including the church, our church and other churches. We've taken a black eye. But if we're going to go forward, we have to make sure that we have our, our, our devotion, our undivided attention and our devotion onto Christ so that we can do what the Apostle Paul is encouraging the church in Corinth and what the Holy Spirit of God is inviting us to do if we're in Christ, that we must be, because we've been given a trust, we must prove faithful. I think there's so much in our day and age that actually hangs in the balance of our faithfulness. What we're going to see today ultimately is our faithfulness actually stems from God. We can't muster up faithfulness. It actually comes from God. So to, to calibrate us, if you will, and get us in the same place, and before we uh, unpack this passage, which we'll get to shortly, I want to tell you this story and this idea of, of refocusing. So I recently became old. I think I became old because I've always, I've had glasses for like the last 10 years, but now I have progressive lenses. And if you're old like me, you know what progressive lenses are. And if you, if, see, some of you are like, yes, I'm old, I get it. And some of you hide it well because you have contacts that actually have progressive lenses. Let me just tell you, all you young people, what progressive lenses are. And now you're judging me. You're like, yeah, you're old. You will be too one day. And, and I'm going to be here to laugh and encourage you in Jesus' name. Uh, Maybe. So that's, that's what's going to happen. Progressive lenses are interesting because my old glasses were just normal, normal glasses. And they worked in like a certain aspect, but I couldn't read anything up close. So you remember this. I would always have to take my glasses off to read my Bible, and I'd, I would actually put them back on to see you. And I couldn't see distances. It was all messed up. Progressive lenses allows the lens actually in the glasses to have three different tiers that I can look through. When I'm looking down, they're like, my, that's, I'm going to use another word that's like for older people, my readers. That's, that's another thing. It's like the, these are up close, like a bifocal kind of thing. And then mid-level allows you to see kind of like just middle distance, close distance, middle distance, and then the top. It's like when I'm driving, driving distance, I'm giving you way too much here. You think I'm an optometrist or something. but like, And then the top is like to see long distances. The problem, and what I'm telling you all this about is I needed, I needed glasses. I knew that because it was an issue at night. It was an issue in reading, and it was just really frustrating, and it would get in the way of the things that I wanted to do. But when I got new glasses, my eyes had to readjust and refocus every time I put my glasses on, every single time. And it was weird because I went to the eye doctor, and the eye doctor says, all right, so here's the thing. If you want progressive lenses, just want you to know they're, they're really kind of hard to get used to. And they kept telling me, there's a 30-day return policy. There's a 30-day return policy. There's a 30-day return policy. Over and over and over, I'm like, are you trying to sell me glasses? Or you just want me to go somewhere else? Because what they were telling me was something that's really important. My eyes would have to adjust to the new lenses. And I would have to understand that there are three different ways of basically looking through my glasses, and my eyes would have to refocus in every position of my glasses. Maybe it's a silly analogy, but I think that we're in a stage where we need to refocus ourselves and not get caught up in necessarily what's going on in the world, but we need to embrace the reality that if we are followers of Jesus, He is calling us to be faithful in our day. And this idea of faithfulness, it, again, it doesn't stem from us, it stems 
from God. I want to encourage you with this. I was so encouraged by, by this commentary that I read from Eugene Peterson on Psalm, one, uh, excuse me, on Psalm 31, 23 and 24. I was so encouraged by this. This is a psalm of David, and, and David was going through his own issues. Many of the psalms that David wrote was actually going through suffering or persecution or just a hardship, and this one certainly is true. And I just wanted to encourage you with this as we start out this brand new year. Love God, all you saints. God takes care of all of those who stay close to him. Sit on that for a minute. Like, God takes care of all those who will stay close to him. You could put that back up, please. But he pays back in full those arrogant enough to go it alone. That's a little sting, right? Notice what it says next. Be brave. Be strong. Don't give up. Expect God to get here soon. Like that really was encouraging to me of just love God, all you saints. Hey, this is, this keep the, the, the main thing, the main thing. And also the, just the faithfulness of God, how God takes care of all those who stay close to him. That just warmed my heart. Hopefully it did for you as well. Well, now we're talking about this idea of faithfulness and, and the reality that all this faithfulness is actually stemming from God. I want to give you this and hopefully this will ring true in your mind. I know it's going to ring true in my message. If I actually deliver from my notes today, we'll see uh, what God wills. But I know that this phrase is true, and I want it to be true of your life and of my life. I want this to be the thing that when we come into this room next year, that we can say, yes, this has been true of me. And it is this phrase, as faith grows, faithfulness shows. As faith grows, faithfulness shows. As our faith in Christ grows, our faithfulness and commitment to Christ should grow also. Let me ask you this question. What words describe it for you? What, what words describe a faithful person? What type of words come up? Maybe somebody who's trustworthy, somebody who has integrity, uh, somebody who, who is a man or woman of their word. It's like these types of words. When we hear the word faithful, usually there's some other qualifying words that we go to. We say, well, that person is dependable or, or that person is loyal. That person is reliable. What words would you use to describe a faithful person? And I'm just going to get really personal for a second. As it pertains to your walk with Jesus, are you a faithful follower? Those same words that you would use to describe a faithful person, could they be said of you in your walk with Jesus? I realize this is kind of a gotcha question because what we tend to think is, we tend to think that faithful means that you're full of faith. And that's really not what that means because none of us at all times are always full of faith. Is certainly like we would want to be. So in this, the, the little gotcha, if you will, it's like you automatically want to say, well, I'm not a faithful follower because I'm not faith-filled. It's not what we're going to get at today. Faithfulness is not about perfection. Faithfulness is about connection to God through the gospel. And it's made obvious through our words and deeds. Faithfulness is both modeled and displayed. If you were to go through and you were to identify somebody who is faithful, you would take some of those attributes we talked about a minute ago and you would apply those attributes to that person and you would be able to say that about that person because they modeled it before you. There was a display of that. 
We also know what it's like to hear these words, certainly if you're a parent or if you are a child, you've probably said this to your kids. And parents, we hate to hear this phrase, but you promised, but you promised. In other words, you made a promise that you didn't hold up to. And we as parents, we have tend to have done this in the past. It's like you made a promise, but then there was some outlying circumstance that comes in and all of a sudden the promise that you made wasn't with that contingency or was with no contingency. So then you broke your promise and then your kid says, but you promised. You see, we, we want this of our parents. We want our, our parents to be people who are faithful and that we can count on and who, have, who are loyal and they're sincere and there's integrity. But I want you to know that ultimately, God is the display of our faithfulness. Faithfulness isn't going to be something that we can just muster in ourselves. Faithfulness is something we can only have when we connect our life to God. And then God is just one of the many gifts of God is God enables us to have faith in the middle of our circumstances. I'll say it in this way. It's a little bit more word crafty. You're welcome. It's this. God's faithfulness is the glue that keeps our beliefs and actions adhering to his promises. That's what this is. It's God's faithfulness. That's the glue. That's what holds our beliefs and our actions and keeps them adhering to his promises. It's God's faithfulness. While we want this for our parents, we want this for ourselves, we want to know, but you promise. I want you to know that God always delivers on his promises. He has never been late in delivering on his promises, not one time. God has never been so busy that he was neglecting you if you reached out to him, not one time. God has never been so occupied in listening to somebody else that he wasn't willing to listen to you if you gave him the cry of your heart. God at no time has been so busy that he had better things to do than to listen to the heart cry of his kids. God is faithful. He is the one who is full of faith, and yet he gives us faith. There were some people in the Old Testament who knew this, and they talked about the, some of the elements of faithfulness. I have some passages I just want to read before you. I'm not going to give you time to flip there because there's several of them, but I just want to kind of wash you in the word of God's faithfulness. And the first person who penned this now that, that I'm going to draw out in Deuteronomy 7, 9 through 10 was Moses, and he, he points to God's faithfulness, and we're going to see Moses do this in a minute. This is what it says in verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. So he is a faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations. That's a long time, y'all. A thousand generations. That this is God's faithfulness, and, and this isn't even going to end. It was just another way of saying, it, a creative way of saying, it's never going to end because part of the essence of God is his faithfulness. To be God, to be the holy and righteous and almighty God is to be faithful. The passage continues, But those who hate him will be repaid for their, to their face by destruction. He will not be slow to repay to their face those who hate him. So there's a consequence to walking away from God or saying, God, I don't need you. Certainly the grace of God is available for salvation, but if people reject God's salvation, they in essence are accepting his judgment. And while they may be crying out for mercy, they will not find mercy unless they first find repentance. The same of someone else and it's the same of you and I. Another passage of scripture 
Paul in the New Testament, he says this to his young protege, Timothy. He says, here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will, dis- he will also disown us. If we, are faithful, if we are faithless, he will remain faithful. For he cannot disown himself. One of the very uh, parts of the essence and attributes of God is faithfulness. An unshakable, unending, unhindered faithfulness. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians 3.3. He says this of God. He says, the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. So now he's offering up this blessing, this blessing of knowledge. If When they connect with God, he says, The Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. John also speaks of God's faithfulness in a very common passage in 1 John 1, 9. That if we confess our sin, that God is what? Faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sin and purify us of all unrighteousness. Again, God's Faithfulness, cycling back to where we began in Deuteronomy 31.6. The Word of God says this, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, because of your enemy. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Again, all of these things speak into the faithfulness of God. Faithfulness is a biblical word describing those who keep their promises. God is the ultimate promise keeper. If we're to be people who refocus and make the main thing the main thing and draw our attention back to God and not what's going on in the world and not how we feel and not what angers us, but if we're to refocus our faith and become faithful, it begins with understanding and again, refocusing on the faithfulness of God. And I hinted at this earlier, it doesn't mean full of faith. Because we're still trying to overcome sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. But rather it means worthy of faith. So faithfulness, it means you're worthy of faith. So now that we've we've come this far, let me just ask you this question. Is your life showing that you're worthy of the faith that God's given you? Are you actually allowing your faith to flow through you And could people recognize it? John Stott, in his commentary, he said this about faithfulness. He says, faithfulness appears to describe, to describe rather, the the reliability of a Christian. The reliability of a Christian. Being reliable. No matter what, this is how I'm going to respond. No matter what goes on in the world, no matter who sits at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, I'm going to respond in this way. It doesn't matter who's, who's on, on the bench of the Supreme Court. I'm going, to, I'm going to do what is right. It doesn't matter who the governor is. I'm going to do what's right. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't really matter. All those other things, I can control what I can control, which is not very much. And yet, out of that, I'm going to trust God with it, and I'm going to live a life that shows my re- that, that I am reliable, that I am a reliable messenger of Jesus Christ. That no matter what, people will know you as being a reliable messenger of Jesus Christ. 
and not a reliable messenger of political jargon or divisive talk or slanderous words, but a reliable witness for Jesus Christ and be faithful and to show that your life is worthy of the faith that God has given you. Martin Luther, he said it in this way. He says, where the battle rages, there's loyalty, faithfulness, reliability. I added those words. Of the, of the soldier is proved. In other words, he says, when the battle rages, that, that is the place that loyalty, the loyalty of a soldier is proved. Loyalty of a soldier isn't proved in boot camp. You don't win medals in boot camp. You win medals in the field of battle when your loyalty's been proved, your loyalty to God and to country and to, to the brother and sister next to you. That's where people are awarded. In the Christian life, it isn't in our comfort that, that we see the most faith. It's actually in, in the obstacles, in the adversity of life. That is when we dig into our faith. And that is when, as our faith grows in those moments, our faithfulness will show out that we are worthy of the faith that God has given us. We all go through battles. We, we, we've gone through some common battles, and I've talked about this over the last uh, six months or so. We've, we've actually gone through some of the same struggles that everybody else in the world has for the first time really ever. Some very identifiable issues that every single person on earth has suffered with. And yet we also have some other things. Uh, some of the battles that we face are job loss or difficulty in our marriage or, or a kid who's gone astray or, or grandkids who, who are like in limbo where, where a grandparent wants to connect with the grandkid and then you have the parents in the middle and, and there's that disconnect and not allowing the kid to go through. There's, there's, you know, if you're business, sometimes business, there'll be battles in business and it's in those moments that God wants to help develop in you a faith that perseveres that you would come out of that as somebody who is worthy of the faith that God has given you. As faith grows, faithfulness shows. As faith grows, faithfulness shows. It's true of my life and it's true of your life. We all go through things. We all have our own struggles and yet, by God's grace, He wants us to walk through those struggles. He wants to help us to walk through that adversity. And He invites us to deepen our relationship with Him. And then our faith will swell and grow. And as it swells and grows, then our faithfulness will show out to the rest of the world. That's, I believe, one of the problems that the people in Corinth are actually dealing with because they've lost focus on who God is and their mission in the world. Instead, they're starting to bicker about who... who you know, who, who are we following? Who's in charge? Who's, who's, who's the spiritual leader that I should be looking after? And then Paul just recorrects all of them, and he says, no, 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 aren't we all supposed to be following Christ? Isn't this the point? Isn't that the point? We'll cycle back. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1 says this, So men ought to regard us. In the Greek, that means to be known for to regard us, to be known for being servants of Christ. What would the world be like if you first weren't known by, the profession, by your profession or your education or position? 
But if, what would the world be like if every follower of Jesus actually took the advice of the Holy Spirit in regards to this passage and that we were just known for being servants of Christ first and foremost and then everything else flowed out of that reality? Oh yeah, we're, I'm a servant of Christ that also gets to preach the Bible. I'm a servant of Christ that also gets to be an educator. I'm a servant of Christ who also gets to be a nurse. I'm a, I'm a servant of Christ who also gets to be an entrepreneur. I'm a servant of Christ who also gets to, to help people in this, in this business. But what if the first thing, the preeminent thing, was the fact that we are actually servants of Christ? What would the world be like? What could the world look like in 2021 if you and I were actually embracing this reality where we went down and we settled into, maybe we've done some things wrong, but now we're going to reorient our hearts to the faithfulness of God, fall before God, knowing that even in the middle of the adversity, God is going to, he's going to rush in and he's going to equip us with everything that we need because his word says that. And then as our, our faith grows, our faithfulness is going to show out to the world. It's powerful, is it not? I think that's actually what Jesus had in mind when he put the church together to begin with. It was a group of people to be able to walk through adversity together with God's strength, to meet the needs of the world, not to sit outside of the world and judge the world, but to meet the needs of the world for the glory of God and the good of the world. So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. So men ought to regard us, we ought to be known for being servants of Christ. People uh, ought to have an opinion that, oh, they are a servant of Christ, so they're not going to they're, they're going to try and do the right thing and we're going to try and say the right thing and they are a trusted person because they have this, this persona, this knowledge that the world would have a knowledge that we are servants of Christ first and foremost. We're not servants of our emotions. We're not servants of our thoughts. We're not servants of our business. We're not servants of our spouse. We're not servants of our kids. We're not service, uh, servants of our friends. Instead, we are servants of Christ. This is the very identification that we have. This phrase came to mind this week when I was studying that God doesn't grade on a curve. God grades on the cross. God doesn't grade on a curve. I think sometimes when it comes to faithfulness, we, all we can do is we can tend to look at our failures. And we just kind of become overwhelmed in our failures and say, well, I, I just can't be that person. I just can't be that person. I just can't measure up. I had a professor in, uh, when I was getting my undergrad degree, and I had a professor who was, his, his class was well known for being incredibly difficult. His, all of his, his tests were multiple choice, but it wasn't just four choices. It was like six or seven choices. And it was like the answer is either A, B, C, and D, A, B, C, E, with the exception of D, and like all of this. And every, no one ever aced his test, ever. The best anyone, literally, the best anyone ever did, his name was Charlie Rodriguez. Uh, he was just a great guy, incredibly 
tragically hard class. The best anyone ever could, they could ever do on his class was a B, and that was the people who, were, who would get A's in other classes. So he always curved, and that's maybe if you're homeschoolers, I don't know, didn't even know if that is a thing, but it's like if you can't get a high enough score, you, you basically put it on a curve to where you're saying, okay, this is the highest grade, so we're going to bump everybody's grade up to, to basically look like um, and kind of even the, the grading scale out, so to speak. But this is what he used to do, and he used to grade on a curve and like bump people's like 10 points on a test. Now, for me, the, it wasn't B to an A. It was D to a C is what it was for me most of the time because his, I mean, his tests were incredibly hard, and that's the way it was. For us, we're never going to measure up. We're never going to be 100 percenters, and that's not the point. The point of grace is God knows that we're not going to be 100 percenters. So he's, he's not grading on a curve. He's grading on the cross. He's counting on the fact that you and I are going to be, that we're going to fail. That's where the grace of God comes in. That's where the faithfulness of God comes in. A passage I want to show you now in, in regards to the faithfulness of God and how that connects to the salvation of man is this. It's going to be found in Romans 4, 24 through 5.1. I invite you to go there. And let's sit and, and look at this as we settle into, uh, into this about being servants of Christ and how beautiful it is to be a servant of Christ because even in our failures, God is consistent, God is faithful, and God holds us close to Him. In Romans 4, 24, God will credit righteousness for us who believe in Him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. God will credit righteousness. In other words, we didn't have it, we can't have it, we'll never have it on our own, but God credits righteousness for us who believe in Him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The word justified, it means pronounced or treated as righteous. Declared not guilty. That's how Jesus grades our faithfulness. If we're in Christ, he already, he already knows when we commit our lives to Jesus, He knows of your past sins, your current sins, and future sins, and God saves us from all of those sins by His faithfulness. What He doesn't expect of us is, is perfection. Instead, what He expects of us is dependence on Him. That's what God expects. Is, is walking and being dependent on Him. And as we're dependent on God, instead, then instead of just relying upon our own selves, we trust in the Lord and lead not on our, on our own understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledge in Him. He will, then He will make our paths straight, is what it says in Proverbs 3. And when that happens, all of a sudden our faith grows and our faithfulness will show. Our, our, the very basis of our salvation is not rooted in ourselves, but it's rooted in God. And it's by faith alone. Now let me simplify this for a second, because when I was studying this out, one of the things that, that came to mind was this thought. Sometimes people can, and, and if you've heard this, you've actually heard me incorrectly, sometimes people think that, that faith is just something that we create. And that's not true. 
Because if faith is something that we could, a work that we could create, that means that we would have to, in essence, create faith to save ourselves. That's not what the Word of God says. So I want to debunk some of that, and I'm going to add a scripture here to clear that up too. The first thing I'll say is this. Faith is not something that we must do to be saved. In other words, that we must do. It's not something that we must do. That would be a twisted plan of God if we have to have faith so that we're saved. That would just be another creative way of saying, hey, here's another rule. Add this to the other rules. Grace is not good enough. You also need the law. Simply not what the Word of God says. Instead, faith is a gift God gives us because He is saving us. Present tense. Saving us. Not that he has just saved us. When you look at certain passages in the Bible, it shows the continuing work of salvation. Salvation is in a moment you're justified, in a moment you're declared righteous, in a moment, but God sanctifies, he sets you apart, he makes you holy, and that is progressive. That is the rest of your life. He is saving us. So that's the other reason why another passage would say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation. In other words, work out of your salvation, not work to receive your salvation. Enough of me. This is what the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it is by grace that you've been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. What's interesting about this passage to me is if I could actually do it myself, I also believe that I have, the, I have enough pride in me that I would boast about me doing it myself. Like, I, I could be that guy. Perhaps you could be that person too. And yet God says, no, 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 salvation isn't a work of you. It's a work of God. God reveals to us our need of faith. We submit before God. We repent. That's not a work. That's in response to the awe and wonder of God and the salvation knowledge and, and the confession of that Jesus Christ died on the cross to take away our sins. And repentance, that too is a gift. It all is rooted in God. So our faithfulness, our faith, doesn't come from ourselves; it comes from God. Here's where it all comes together, this idea of faith and faithfulness. You must have faith to be faithful, and true faith will display faithfulness. You must have faith, the gift of God, to be faithful in the character and qualities of a follower of Jesus. This is actually one of the fruit of the Spirit. And true faith will display faithfulness. This is just the inevitable outcome of somebody who walks by faith, that you will prove worthy of that faith. Or perhaps you will not, and then you will have to repent. Common struggle for all people. The word servant in, that, in the original passage, uh, I direct your attention to go back to 1 Corinthians 4, 1. So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ. This is a particular word, and not the same word for servants that's used in a lot of other places in the New Testament. Instead, this word is the word huperites, Greek word, and it means under rower. It, it is originally meant someone who is who is rowing on the lower part of the ship. 
And it's signifying service of a lowly kind and someone who is subject to direction. So this idea of servant is somebody who is, who is of a lowly kind, underneath, if you will, God. And someone who is, is subject to direction from God. So by being a servant of Christ, in other words, we're saying we're not God, we're just simply here sent by God, and we're servants of the Most High God. And we do what He says. And we do what He says. And Christians need to do what He says. Christian, you need to do what He says. You don't need to do what you feel. You don't need to do what you think. We need to do what God says. When we do what God says, we claim the promises of God that leads us to be brave, strong, courageous, and faithful people in Jesus' name. Another thing that I think comes to mind when it comes to this passage is Sometimes we, we tend to think that this faithfulness is like in the big areas. And I love how Jesus debunked this in Luke 16, 10. He says, if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. He says, it's really how you do the little things is actually how you're doing the big things. This isn't just the big things. He says, no, 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 look for the little things because in how you do the little things, the little things of faith that you're being held responsible for, that's actually how you're doing the big ones too. And consequently, if you're dishonest in the little things, you're gonna be dishonest and you're gonna, you're gonna be dishonest about the greater responsibilities that we have. Then we run upon the word entrusted that's a significant word in this passage as well. Because entrusted is another word for steward or manager. So let's read these two verses again. And we're going to come up to this word entrusted. So then men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. So God is entrusted us with things. God has, has allowed you to be the manager of your life and the manager, not the owner, but the manager of your things, the manager, the steward of your relationship, the manager and steward of your kids, the manager and steward of your finances, the manager and steward of your business. God has allowed you to do that. That's what that word entrusted means. That he's the owner and that we are managers of things. And this quote I found to be profound by Edwin Lewis Cole. He said this, have faith in God, God has faith in you. Have faith in God, God has faith in you. Isn't that an amazing thing? If God has entrusted things to us, that means he has faith in us to do the things that he's telling us to do. 
that he has faith in us, that he believes in us, that he has chosen us to do an incredible work. He's chosen us to to be able to be messengers of the kingdom of God into a lost world. He has entrusted with us the light of Christ to shine in the darkness. He has entrusted us the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he had entrusted it to us, and he has faith in us, and now we need to be faithful with what we've been given. It says the secret things also, that they've been entrusted with the secret things of God, Secret things, I want to read this passage just so you understand what this is. This is actually connecting to something he had just said two chapters earlier. In 1 Corinthians 2, 7 through 13, it says this. He says, no, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have, been, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However... As it is written, no eye has seen and no ear has heard, no mind has conceived that God, what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. And the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. We've not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we must understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not with words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, expressing spiritual truth in spiritual words. The secret things of God are spiritual truths with spiritual words, and it's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reason why it's referred to as being secret is this, that the lost world can't see it, they can't hear it without God's help. But those who are in Christ, we know of these these treasures, the treasures that people before us didn't know, but now, by God's grace, we can. Let me summarize it by saying this. You're stewarding your life. You're a steward of the gospel, your own heart, your desires, your marriage, your relationships, your parenting, your finances, your homes, and every possession. And you're being commanded to be faithful in every area. That's what God's telling us today. You're a steward. You're a manager. You've been entrusted with these things. Because after all, we're just under rowers. Operating under the authority of God and God's word, the power of the Holy Spirit. And he commands us to be faithful. There's going to be times in your life, and perhaps it's even right now, where you're feeling a little bit down, you're feeling a little bit emotionally caught. I don't want you to know that the pathway forward, if you uh, have not been faithful, because the question I asked at the, begin, at the beginning of this talk was, as it pertains to your walk with Jesus, are you a faithful follower? 
And maybe you felt this sting then, and now you even more so feel this sting to say, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not where I should be. The path forward is always a path backward. Here's what I mean. First, you need to confess it. You need to confess that you haven't been faithful in whatever area that God brings up. You need to repent, turn away from the direction that you were going to become more faithful in a new direction. It's going to change, it's going to take a change of belief, a reliance and faith on God. It's going to take a plan. This is where community comes in. It's going to take a plan because what got you into the mess most likely was just something that was in your head or in your experience. It's going to take a plan. So that way, when you get in the situation again, you need other people to say, hey, I, I was in this situation. I need a plan how to get out of it because I need somebody to give me a 360 of my life. So when it happens again, I have a plan to get out of it or a plan to avoid it. You also need a person to, to be accountable to. You need a person who will speak the truth into you, who will be honest with you and you can be honest with them. Not some sort of hierarchy that that person is better than you. No, no, no. It's just two people on the same plane trying to pursue Jesus together. Then you need to take the appropriate actions that God reveals, that God's word reveals, and also it's revealed in community. The way for us to become faithful, to be worthy of the faith that's been given to us, sometimes it's by confessing the unfaithfulness that we've had. I want to give you a moment before we take the elements today, and I want you to just sit. I'm not going to make this long and drawn out, but I just, we're just going to sit for a second, and, and I, if there's something that comes up, maybe you just need it right now in the moment. You just need to confess that before God and say, I have been unfaithful in this area, and confess it, and then commit to the Lord. Say, I'm going to commit a pathway of faithfulness in this moment. So let's, let's all stop I'll give you some time in silence, and then I'll pray for us, and we'll take the elements. Lord, we thank you for these quiet places. It's the quiet places that we can actually hear you most clearly. But it's the quiet places that are difficult. We're people who hide with busyness. We're people who, who hide because we're afraid of the responsibility that may be brought upon us. So Lord, thank you for these, these quiet places and thank you for meeting, in these, meeting us in these places and being so faithful and true. Lord, for all of the brothers and sisters in Christ who are 
maybe they're, they're struggling with something right now and it's in their mind that there's this area that they haven't been faithful. And you've shown them. Lord, lead them to the future after the confession, repentance, and belief. And so where they have a plan to, to make good on what they've been doing poorly. And also to have the courage to ask somebody to hold them accountable to the action they're taking. And then finally, God, just to take that action. And Jesus, before we take the elements, I just want to say the greatest display of faithfulness this, this earth has ever seen is in the cross. In your birth, your sinless life, your death, your glorious resurrection, and your glorious ascension. So Jesus, we praise you. And as we take the elements, we take them in remembrance of you, the one who is faithful unto death, to help take the, the unrighteous so they could become righteous. That you are the just one, and you're also the justifier. We praise you, Jesus, for it. Amen.